Hi, everyone. My name is Scott Fraser, and I am the author of Angry with God, Understanding the Rules of Earth Life. I'd like to thank Valerie Lovelace and Cedar Fort Publishing for inviting me to teach this lesson for the Come Follow Me series on Alma chapters 36 to 38. So to set the stage, in Alma chapter 31, Alma has decided to go teach the Zoramites, an apostate group of ex-Nephites that had settled in Antionum. The mission was both spiritual, to bring this group back to the church, and political, as it was feared that the Zoramites would join the Lamanites in an attack on the Nephites. Alma takes seven other missionaries with him, Ammon, Aaron, Omner, Amulek, Zizram, and his two younger sons, Shiblon and Corianton. So it's quite a missionary group. Alma sees the Zoramites use their Ramiumpton and worries his missionaries will not have any chance of success. But they do convert some of the poor Zoramites. At the beginning of chapter 35, Alma and his companions take leave from their missions and retire to Jershon. Now the priests of the Zoramites had been making a good living running the synagogues and maybe renting out time on the Ramiumpton, I don't know. But they were unhappy about Alma's success. So the rich Zoramites ran an opinion poll asking their people what they thought about Alma's teachings. Now, opinion polls should generally remain anonymous because there can be some ill effects on the results, if not, and that's what happened here. Those who were converted by Alma were rounded up and were cast out of the land, probably because it was close and they knew Alma and his companions had gone there. The castouts went to Jershon. Now, the Nephites who lived in Jershon were the people of Ammon, who were the ex-Lamanites who were converted by Ammon. The people of Ammon had been kicked out of their homes by the Lamanites and had moved to Jershon in Alma 27:22. The Zoramites insisted that the people of Ammon also cast out their castouts. Now the people of Ammon knew what it was like to be kicked out of their land, and they were certainly not going to banish the Zoramites and fellow members of the church from their lands. Apparently they just ignored the Zoramite rulers' threats and phone calls. So the Zoramites did exactly what the Nephites did not want them to do. They mixed with the Lamanites and incited them to war. So now, Mormon does a funny thing as the editor of the Book of Mormon. In thirty-five, chapter 35, verse 13, he summarizes that the Nephites and the Lamanites were definitely going to war and will return to that war after a short departure. Now, it is not until Alma 43, verse 3, eight chapters later, that Mormon says, and now I return to an account of the wars. Mormon had obviously read the teachings of Alma the Younger to his three sons, and he decided he had to include them. As an author, I would have hesitated to put the exciting narrative about an impending war between the Nephites and Lamanites on hold for 17 pages to include some very personal teachings of a father to his sons. Obviously, Mormon thought it was worth it, and obviously it was. You know, since you're listening to a Sunday school lesson from this podcast that originates from a publishing company, I'd like to spend a couple more minutes about this departure. I'd like to go back to the first chapter of the book of Jacob, the son of Lehi, where Jacob is given the plates by his older brother Nephi. Jacob explains that the plates were supposed to contain the most sacred and spiritual events that happened in Nephite history. So, speaking of Nephi, Jacob states, And he gave me, Jacob, a commandment that I should write upon these plates a few of the things which I considered to be most precious, that I should not touch, save it were lightly, concerning the history of this people, which are called the people of Nephi. For he said that the history of his people should be engraven upon his other plates, 
and that I should preserve these plates and hand them down unto my seed from generation to generation. And if there were preaching which was sacred or revelation which was great or prophesying, that I should engrave in the heads of them upon these plates and touch upon them as much as it were possible for Christ's sake and for the sake of our people. So the Book of Mormon could have been simply a book of talks by the prophets with no narration in between. But the Lord had wanted the Book of Mormon to give context of the time and place that the talks were given. So Mormon and then Moroni had to combine the events of the small plates and the large plates and other plates to tell a story that includes historical events, including Nephite wars, and gospel teachings by the church leaders of the time. What a challenge it would have been to keep everything straight. So one has to admire the finished work. The Book of Mormon is a compendium of some of the lowest depths to which man can sink and the highest achievements and good works that men can attain. We need to allow Mormon the freedom to depart from the normal narration and give gospel instruction. We need to allow him to include the words of Mormon to explain what is going on and uh, what's coming next. But this is something that an editor has to do, and given the challenges that Mormon was presented and Moroni, um, we have to admire their efforts. In Alma chapters 36 and 37, Alma talks to his eldest son, Helaman, who will take over as the president of the church. As it turns out, this passing of the torch from Alma to Helaman will occur within a year. Before Mormon takes his break in the Nephite history, he mentions that it is the commencement of the 18th year of the reign of Judges. Looking ahead, in Alma 45.18, Alma is going to disappear on his way to Melech. In verse 20, the narration mentions that it is now the commencement of the 19th year of the reign of Judges. We don't know if Alma knows it or not, but within a year he will leave this earth. Bruce R. McConkie taught that Alma was translated, and this makes sense, but we can't be sure, I suppose. In chapter 36, Alma recounts the story of his conversion. Whenever I read this part, I think that surely Helaman has heard this story a hundred times. It makes for a great talk for family home evening or general church conferences, so I can't imagine that Helaman has not heard it. So why does Alma repeat the account again, taking 18 verses to do so? Alma wants Helaman to know that the Lord has taken care of him. Even when he didn't deserve it, when he was carousing around with the sons of Mosiah, the Lord took care of him. In Alma 36, verses 27 and 28, Alma gives the motto for his story. Alma states, And I have been supported under trials and troubles of every kind, yea, and in all manner of afflictions. Yea, God has delivered me from prison and from bonds and from death. Yea, and I do put my trust in him, and he will still deliver me. And I know that he will raise me up in the last day to dwell with him in glory. Yea, and I will praise him forever. So these verses read as if Alma kind of knows his life is about over. He wants Helaman to know that the Lord has taken good care of him, will take care of him in later life, and will continue to take care of him in the resurrection. What a wonderful lesson that is to leave with your children. Alma will also mention the story of his conversion to Shiblon in chapter 38, which we will review in a few minutes. He gives Corianton the same message, but since Corianton has so many problems and sins, his counsel is strung out over four chapters. Now, one of the reasons chapter 36 is interesting is that it is written as a chiasmus. So, by chapter 36, you might want to have the word written, chiasmus. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this uh, of this style of writing. 
It is a writing which, in which words, grammatical constructions, or concepts are given in a particular order and then are repeated in reverse order as you proceed along reading in the chapter. We find chiasmus in the Bible, for example, Isaiah 16, John 4, 23-24, 1 Peter 1, 23-25, or Matthew chapter 20. Now, often they're in very simple verses, such as we find in Mark 2, 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, this chiasmus only has two steps, Sabbath and man. And often the steps will lead up to a central point that is not repeated before the lesson steps back down again. But in this particular simple chiasmus, we just have a two-step up and two steps down. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Finding chiasmus in the Book of Mormon was taken as proof that it was written like the Bible, and we often use it in our missionary efforts to make that comparison. In Alma chapter 36, we have six steps up to a central theme and six identical steps back down. So if you're looking at uh, Alma chapter 36, you'll notice in verse 1, it says, My words and keep the commandments. In verse 2, we have the word bondage. In verse 3, the word supported. In verse 5, born of God. And in verse 17, harrowed by the memory of my many sins. In verse 18, we have our central theme, which is, O Jesus, thou Son of God, have mercy on me. And it's a very appropriate central theme for this particular chiasmus. Now we start back down again in reverse order. In verse 19, we find the words, Harrowed by the memory of my sins no more. In verse 26, born of God. In verse 27, supported. Verse 28, bondage. Verse 30, keep the commandments and word. So this is the chiasmus of Alma 36. And not only is it a chiasmus, it's also kind of an introduction for Alma to, uh, to present the rest of his teachings to Helaman. Now, Alma has to get down to some business at hand. Helaman is going to take over his father's responsibilities in the church, so the handoff must be organized. Alma gives Helaman all the records. In verse 2, we read that he's given the large plates of Nephi. In verse 3, the plates of brass obtained from Laban, or the scriptures. Now, in verses 4 through 20, Alma describes the importance of these scriptures to the Nephites and how important it was in the conversion process for the Lamanites that were converted. In verse 21, Alma gives Helaman the Urim and the Thummim interpreters. He also gives him the 24 gold plates that contain the record of the Jaredites, as translated by Mosiah. Now, I'd like to spend a few minutes um, because Alma tells Helaman a lot about the nature of evil a subject that's inspired by this record of the Jaredites. So I'd like to read Alma chapter 37, verse 21, in which Alma says, And now I will speak to you concerning those 24 plates, that ye keep them, that the mysteries and the works of darkness and their secret works, or the secret works of those people who have been destroyed, may be made manifest unto this people, yea, all their murders and robbings and their plunderings, and all their wickedness and abominations may be made manifest unto this people, yea, and that ye preserve these interpreters. So Alma wants to be known about the works of these people, knowing that they will they were destroyed. And so he wants them to know about this, and he talks a little bit about the Urim and Thummim, that is as a stone to discover secret works, works of darkness, wickedness, and abominations. So this is one of its uh, purposes. 
besides just simply interpretation. In Alma 37, verse 27, we now read, And now, my son, I command you that you should retain all their oaths and their covenants and their agreements in their secret abominations, yea, and all their signs and their wonders, and ye shall keep them from this people that they know them not, lest peradventure they should fall into darkness also and be destroyed. So it's an interesting reversal here. Alma wants Helaman to tell the people about the Jaredites and about their robbings and murderings and plunderings and abominations. But he does not want the people to know about the covenants and secret abominations, signs and wonders. These things he wanted to keep from the people. Apparently, when you dabble in the black arts, um, you can see signs and wonders. And Alma does not want that happening to his people like it happened to the Jaredites. So on one hand, Alma wants his people to know about the works, the evil works of the Jaredites. And you can look at this and you can say, you know, there's there's a, a reason for this, that you should know your enemy. Uh, Sun Tzu in The Art of War once stated, if you know the enemy and know yourself, so let's say the enemy is evil and yourself is a righteous person. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. So Alma wants people to know what evil is, what it does, and how it leads people to destruction. He did not want them to know about the secret combinations, about the covenants and the signs and wonders that the people could see if they chose to dabble in those dark arts. So what I'd like to do now is jump to Ether and see both where these secret combinations came from and what made them uh, made them such that Alma did not want his people to know about them at this time. So if we jump to Ether, chapter 8, verse 15 and 16, 18 and 20, I'd like to read. And it came to pass that thus they did agree with Achish. And Achish did administer unto them the oaths which were given by them of old, who also sought power, which had been handed down even from Cain, who was a murderer from the beginning. And they were kept up by the power of the devil to administer those oaths unto the people, to keep them in darkness, to help such as sought power to gain power, and to murder and to plunder and to lie, and to commit all manner of wickedness and whoredoms. Verse 18, And it came to pass that they formed a secret combination, even as they of old, which combination is most abominable and wicked above all in the sight of God. Verse 20, And now I, Moroni, do not write the manner of their oaths and combinations, for it had been made known unto me that they are had among all people, and they are had among the Lamanites. So, Helaman didn't reveal the manner of the oaths and combinations, but apparently they got out anyway, probably in the years when the Lamanites destroyed the Nephites in Mormon chapters 4 and 5. This also led to both the Nephites and the Lamanites following these secret combinations and leading to their destruction. In Ether, chapter 8, verse 21, Moroni states, And they have caused the destruction of this people, of whom I am now speaking, and also the destruction of the people of Nephi. So we can see that Alma had a very good reason for not wanting these secret combinations and oaths to get out among the people, because as he saw with the Jaredites, it destroyed them, and as he didn't know at the time, but would come to pass, it would also destroy the, uh, the Nephites as well. Moroni comes to that same conclusion as we read in Ether chapter 8, 
verse 22, And whatsoever nation shall uphold such secret combinations to get power and gain, until they shall spread over the nation, behold, they shall be destroyed. For the Lord will not suffer that the blood of his saints, which shall be shed by them, shall always cry unto him from the ground for vengeance upon them, and yet he avenged them not. So we know that the oaths and secret combinations are still out there. Alma was hopeful that they could be contained, but apparently not. I find it interesting that these oaths and covenants are as bluntly truthful as they are reportedly to help such as sought power to gain power, and to murder, and to plunder, and to lie, and to commit all manner of wickedness and whoredoms. I don't think a secret combination today would consider itself a secret combination. It would be an association or a brotherhood or a committee with a stated purpose to free the land or purge America or restore the old ways by whatever means necessary, though it might not use the word violence in its mission statement. So we still have to be careful. Alma and Moroni and Ether all warn us about secret combinations. They suck you into making O's to do things that you would never think you would ever do. But I guarantee that such organizations are not going to advertise themselves as secret combinations. So be aware and be careful of the organizations that can act as secret combinations and lead to your downfall. So let's now move on to Alma chapter 38. In this chapter, Alma talks to his middle son, Shiblon. Alma just spent two chapters with Helaman because Helaman would be taking over church responsibility when Alma retired. Alma will spend four chapters with his youngest son, Corianton, because Corianton was the problem child. Now, Alma spends one chapter with Siblon, the middle son. On a side note, Shiblon was named for a coin, since a Shiblon is half a senum. So before going on to talk about the chapter of Alma's sayings to his son Shiblon, I'd like to uh, talk about the middle child syndrome. So the middle child syndrome is the belief that middle children are excluded, ignored, or even outright neglected because of their birth order. Now it's true, middle children do often feel invisible. They don't get to enjoy the prestige of the oldest child, nor do they receive the attention of the youngest. The middle child often feels pangs of jealousy and inadequacy, has low self-esteem, and often becomes an introvert. So I have four children. My third child, Sean, always told us that he was the just-in-case child. So, just in case his older brother or sister died in childhood, we would have an extra. He was kidding, of course, but it illustrates a middle child attitude. So, Shiblon was a middle child. So, I'd like to talk about another middle child in the Book of Mormon, and that is Sam, son of Lehi. So, if you look at the brothers, Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and Nephi, which is the more admirable? Laman, of course, was a troubled child who chooses pride and evil. Lemuel just follows Laman. And Nephi, of course, is going to be most people's choice. He was the most admirable, and he did great things, and he had great great revelations and everything else. Nephi is blessed with visions. He gets to talk to angels. Sam is the middle child. Now, you have to know that Laman and Lemuel probably tried to get Sam onto their side. It would have been so easy for Sam. In many ways, he was ignored, despite his righteousness. So, for example, in the scriptures, one of the times that Sam was ignored, in 1 Nephi 3.28, Laban has just stolen everything the brothers bought to buy the brass plates. And they are hiding in a cave, and Laban is very angry, of course. And, reading from verse 28, And it came to pass that Laman was angry with me, and also with my father, and also was Lemuel, 
for he hearkened unto the words of Laman. Wherefore Laman and Lemuel did speak many hard words unto us, their younger brothers, and they did smite us even with a rod. In the very next verse, in verse 29, And it came to pass, as they smote us with a rod, behold, an angel of the Lord came and stood before them, and he spake unto them, saying, Why do you smite your younger brother with a rod? At this point, if I had been Sam, I would have raised my hand and say, Hey, I was getting smote by the rod as well. But Sam doesn't. Apparently, Sam was the quiet son. He never speaks in the Book of Mormon. Lehi names no geographical locations after him, like he did for Laman and Lemuel. The Lord never speaks to him, according to our record. In Second Nephi 4.11, Lehi gives Sam a blessing, that he should be like unto his brother, and that his seed will be like Nephi's seed. So how would you react to being the ultimate middle child? Sam was basically a shadow of his quiet and righteous younger brother. He got no attention or acclaim, yet he endured. Another way to look at this is that, you know, Nephi could never really go inactive in the church. He was the president and the prophet. He had responsibilities, and his absence would have been noted by the whole church. But Sam could have gone inactive. People may not have even noticed Sam was so quiet. But Sam endured, despite the lack of individual attention from his family, angels, and certainly his brothers. Shiblon, too, could have gone quietly inactive. His older brother, Helaman, was the heir apparent to his father, Alma. Corianton was the pampered, news-making, troubled child. But Shiblon stayed active in the church, despite the lack of attention he received. One more note, not all of us can be general authorities or bishops or Relief Society presidents. Most of us simply attend church and do whatever small tasks we are assigned, without murmuring or rebelling. I want you to know that God appreciates your faithfulness, even if you, like Sam and Shiblon, are middle children and do not receive the attention and praise for it in this life. Shiblon seems to be a good son. He has served as a missionary and was actually bound and stoned during his mission to the Zoramites. Later, in Alma chapter 63, Shiblon will be given responsibility for the records and objects that Alma has just given to Helaman in chapter 37. Shiblon will then pass these things along to his nephew Helaman, son of Helaman. So it appears that the older Helaman uh, has passed away. Shiblon will take care of the records and objects for a short time. And then when Helaman Jr. has gotten old enough, he will give him these, uh, these records and objects to care for. Like his talk with Helaman, Alma recounts his conversion story. Alma seems to be fearful of Shiblon's pride. In verses 11 through 14, he warms him about being lifted up in pride. I'm sure by the time he gets to verse 14, Shiblon is wondering when this lecture was going to be over. Pride is something that's uh, fairly common with young men, so it shouldn't be surprising that Alma was a little concerned about the pride that Shiblon had shown in earlier days. But I have to cut Alma some slack here. When I talk to my children, I repeat myself a lot as well. It's just that you want so badly for your children to be joyful and faithful towards God. You can read that in the parental counsel that Alma gives to his sons in this lesson. Now, in the next four chapters, which is next week's lesson, Alma will be talking to his problem child, Corianton. Corianton is guilty of a number of sins, so much so that Alma probably sees himself in him when he was a younger man known as Alma the Younger. So Alma, now the prophet and leader of the church, will spend a great deal of time talking to Corianton about the afterlife. He reveals some very deep doctrine and insight 
about the resurrection. So I wholeheartedly recommend you read those chapters before the next lesson. So with that, I would like to thank Cedar Fort again for inviting me to teach this section of the Book of Mormon. Alma is a fascinating book with doctrine that we find only there. So I would like to leave my testimony that uh, the church is true. The Book of Mormon gives us doctrine that we can use to understand why we're here and uh, what we are seeking for. These words that we talked about is those of a father talking to his sons, and um, I can appreciate the desire that Alma had in his heart to communicate gospel principles to his sons so that they would be faithful in the church and could endure to the end. And I leave this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more Come Follow Me teaching materials, visit cedarfort.com. Use code CFPODCAST to save 15% on your entire order. That's C as in Cedar and F as in Fort, podcast, for 15% off your entire order.